Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. This has been a busy year for me in my professional life as a planetary scientist and astrobiologist. I've been doing a lot of exciting research and a lot of exciting traveling to partake in scientific activities. Some of my favorite events have been those where I've been able to intermingle with serious intentions with people from outside of science, such as a meeting that I attended at Johns Hopkins University in April called Cosmic Visions. This short solo episode of Strange New Worlds is dedicated to reflecting on my time at the Cosmic Visions Workshop. My invite to Cosmic Visions was a direct result of my participation in the UC Santa Cruz What is Life workshop in February. In case you're interested, you can find my thoughts on that conference in episode 149. Just like the What is Life event, Cosmic Visions was a gathering of scholars from both the sciences and the humanities in an attempt to bridge the vast divide between our two communities. And just like at What is Life, we scientists were outnumbered at Cosmic Visions. One of the few other scientists in attendance was Johns Hopkins University professor Sean Carroll, who was a physicist by training but now toes the line between physics and philosophy and holds the title of the Homewood Professor of Natural Philosophy at JHU. Sean is also the host of the Mindscape podcast, which I love listening to and highly recommend to all of you, and he's also the author of numerous excellent popular science books. And finally, sad to say, but Sean is also one of the few people who has ever declined an invite to join me on Strange New Worlds. One day I'll get you, Sean Carroll. But I understand, no hard feelings, he's a very busy guy doing all sorts of great science and science communication. And don't you worry, I'm not going to leave you hanging here without summarizing Sean's talk. Sean came to Cosmic Visions with one simple plea. Stop hating on entropy! In case you're not familiar with the concept of entropy, you can think of it as a measure of disorder or chaos. The second law of thermodynamics states that in any isolated system, entropy will tend to rise over time. Your messy bedroom is probably proof enough of this principle, but if you need further evidence, simply consider how you can break an egg and scramble it, but you cannot unscramble it and put it back into its shell. Similarly, you can spray perfume out of a bottle, releasing its molecules into a large room, but you cannot recollect those vapor particles back inside the bottle. Disorder. Entropy tends to increase. So at face value, entropy seems antithetical to the whole idea of life. After all, living systems are incredibly ordered, and disordering them means decay and death. If I put my houseplants in a blender, goodbye houseplants. If I jumbled up my DNA, even just a little bit, I would cease to function. It seems so obvious that to stay alive is to fight against the ravages of entropy. My high school chemistry teacher told us that the one and only phenomenon that defies the second law of thermodynamics is life. 
But Sean Carroll would have slapped my high school chem teacher silly, because Sean was at the Cosmic Visions workshop to tell us the second law of thermodynamics is the reason why we're all here. As a physicist, Sean sees life as one incredible phenomenon that the universe creates in its long arc from order to chaos, from the Big Bang to heat death. According to contemporary theories in cosmology, our universe began in a very hot, very dense state and has since expanded and cooled off ever since. In other words, the universe began in an extremely low entropy configuration and will eventually, many billions of years from now, approach its highest entropy state, pure equilibrium, a state that we call heat death. In the middle of those two endpoints is where interesting, complex phenomena arise. Sean likes to illustrate this with the everyday example of mixing milk into coffee. Imagine, in your mind's eye, a cup with a layer of deep brown coffee, peacefully resting atop a layer of milk. That's our highly ordered low-entropy beginning, the barista's Big Bang. Imagine now the end state, those two liquids fully mixed into a creamy light brown solution. That monotonous mixture represents our high-entropy heat death. Now notice, in neither the initial state nor the end state is anything interesting happening. The well-ordered coffee and milk layers are too ordered, while the fully mixed solution is too chaotic. It's only in between, when the two are in the act of mixing, do you find complex swirls and tendrils of milk and coffee creating delightful, playful patterns. In fact, if you took JPEG pictures of the coffee and milk at its various stages, images depicting the mixing of the two liquids would actually take more room on your hard drive. They're really more complex images. They carry more information in them. According to Sean, we are in this middle part of the universe, sufficiently removed from the low-entropy Big Bang and sufficiently far from our eventual heat death. Welcome to the fun part of the universe's history, he said to a captive audience at Cosmic Visions. It's no mistake that we find ourselves living now, because now is the time in which complex entities like life can be driven into existence. Driven by what, you might ask? The answer, driven by increasing entropy. It's a common misconception to think that life needs energy. After all, don't we eat food for calories? Unfortunately, this was also a little white lie told to us in high school chemistry. What life really eats is low entropy, and what it excretes is high entropy. Energy just passes right through us. To see this, let's take a big step back and focus on our planet as a whole. Our biosphere feeds off of sunlight, captured by plants and algae in a process called photosynthesis. The sun is an energy input, for sure, but our planet also radiates energy into outer space. 
For every single visible wavelength photon from the Sun that strikes planet Earth, Earth gives off 20 infrared photons into the blackness of space. Because infrared photons carry 20 times less energy than visible photons, the energy released by our planet equals the energy it absorbs. Now, yes, the effects of anthropogenic climate change alter this calculation slightly, but that's a whole other matter, and we can talk about that another time. So to sum up, energy is flowing into our biosphere, but just as much energy is flowing out of it. Energy is not the key issue. It's the quality, the nature of that energy that is. One photon of visible light is highly ordered compared to 20 photons of infrared radiation. In other words, one visible photon and 20 infrared photons balance each other out on energy, but not on entropy. This is also true of the food that you eat versus the heat and uh, other stuff that you give off. The same energy in and out of your body, but way different entropy. Order comes in, disorder goes out. And that's how you're able to maintain yourself. Remember, the second law of thermodynamics states that the total entropy, the total disorder of the universe has to march upwards in time. So the only way for you to maintain your ordered state is if you can increase the disorder of the things around you. And that's the magic of metabolism. Evolution has found all sorts of brilliant ways of finding low-entropy food and creating high-entropy waste. For you and me, that might mean eating that beautifully ordered sandwich and pooping it out later. Seriously, my former podcast host and geobiologist Elise Cutts once quipped, no shit, no life. My grad school astrobiology mentor, Dr. Mike Russell, had a slogan, it's the exhaust that drives your car. And Professor Sean Carroll told us at the Cosmic Visions workshop, stop hating on entropy. They're all basically the same message. Entropy is our friend, not our foe. Now, I mentioned that Cosmic Visions was a conference blending both science and the humanities. Let me tell you about an amazing art project that I heard about from transdisciplinary artist Dario Robleto. At the Cosmic Visions workshop, Dario gave a talk about the Voyager Golden Records, phonographs that NASA launched aboard its Voyager spacecraft in 1977. The Voyager's missions to tour the solar system is now complete, and they are still out there on a trajectory departing the solar system and entering interstellar space. And the records that they carry therefore represent the furthest that any physical human art has ever traveled into the cosmos. According to Dario, the Golden Records are also, quote, the greatest work of art that art history has never accounted for, end quote. 
Because these records were a part of a technological masterpiece, those NASA probes, the art community has not fully appreciated them, argued Dario. So what would we learn about ourselves if we contextualized the golden records as the art pieces that they truly are? Now, these records contained a plethora of sounds and images from planet Earth. Of particular interest to Dario is the EEG and EKG readings of Anne Druyan, the creative director of the Voyager Golden Records project, as well as Carl Sagan's romantic partner. Anne included her bioelectrical readings on the records for the slight chance that alien technology could take the electrical pulses of her body and use them to reconstruct her mind, her thoughts, her emotions. But what did Anne think about while her brainwaves were being recorded? The well-told story is that she thought about falling in love with Carl Sagan because she wanted the Voyager spacecraft to be an archive of love, a testament to the fact that human love once existed in the universe. Andruyan is the only woman whose heart has left the solar system, Dario Robleto told us at the Cosmic Visions workshop. But equally interesting to Dario is what Anne may have chosen not to think about, or chose to think about but not tell anyone. Did Andruyan think about negative emotions in addition to love, emotions like anger, hatred, anxiety? Did she think about human suffering, injustice, geopolitics, war? All of these are stamps of humanity, too. Did we include them on those golden records along with heartbeats of love? If we did, or if we did not, what does that say about who we are and how we want to be remembered by the cosmos? The trouble is, only one person knows the answer to all of these questions. Anne Druyan, the one who thought whatever cryptic thoughts are etched on those golden records mounted on probes now billions of kilometers from Earth. So Dario Robleto is making a film investigating this subject, featuring interviews with Anne Druyan. The film is called Ancient Beacons Long for Notice. And he's also co-authoring a book on this subject with art historian Jennifer Roberts, professor of the humanities at Harvard University. That forthcoming book is titled Life Signs, The Tender Silence of the Pulse Wave. I'm not sure when either the film or the book is coming out, but I'm keeping my eyes peeled, and I hope so will you. Now, to end this episode with a Star Trek connection, many of you will know that the first Star Trek movie, Star Trek The Motion Picture, featured the return of one of NASA's Voyager spacecraft to the solar system. The movie tells the story of Voyager 6, which was damaged in deep space and found by a group of mechanical lifeforms who patched it up and sent it back home looking for its creator. Now, because it was mechanical lifeforms who fixed V'ger, the probe was pretty biased against organic life and almost killed everyone on Earth. 
What I'd like to see is a version of this story where Voyager 1 or 2, the actual NASA probes that contained the golden records, are found by distant aliens who actually reconstruct Andruyan's thoughts and memories from her EEG and EKG readings. What would these aliens think of humanity from the brainwaves of a single human woman? Would they marvel at the depth of our compassion and elect to join the Federation? Or would they balk at our astonishing cruelty to each other and our own planet and attempt to eliminate us from the galaxy? I think it would be especially fun to write this into an episode of future Star Trek and get Andruyan to come on board to play an alien reconstructed version of herself. Anne, after all, is a producer, director, writer, and actress in the latest rendition of Cosmos, so in theory, this could happen. And it's worth noting that Star Trek did pay homage to Anne's husband, Carl Sagan, with a memorial on Mars seen in the Star Trek Enterprise episode Terra Prime. So I think that it's high time that Trek honored Andruian. That's it for this episode of Strange New Worlds. A heartfelt thanks to everyone who made the Cosmic Visions workshop at Johns Hopkins University possible, and a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about the show too. And until next time, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you out there.